In 2011, there were just over a million cases of work-related illness in Britain. 40% of them were caused by a single factor, stress. Professor Sir Michael Marmot's major breakthrough came from following the health of British civil servants over many years. The Whitehall studies, as they're known, changed everything we then knew about stress and disease. Well, I thought, like everybody else did at the time, that high-status people got more heart disease because they were under stress. So that was worth looking at. The results, when he looked at them, showed something completely unexpected. To my amazement, and to the amazement of everybody I showed these data to, and initially disbelief, we found the lower the status, the higher the risk of heart disease. But it wasn't just mortality from heart disease, it was mortality from a whole range of diseases. What Marmot showed was the lower your status at work, the shorter your lifespan. Mortality rates were three times higher for those at the bottom than for those at the top. The unpleasant truth is it's likely your boss will live longer than you. And the reason? The psychic benefits of being in control of one's life. But being unhappy at work isn't just a problem for us as individuals. It's a major cost to the economy and much more of a cost than was previously thought. Carrie Cooper is Professor of Organisational Psychology and Health at Lancaster University. More people suffer from presenteeism than sickness absence. In other words, that they turn up to work either ill or job dissatisfied, contribute little added value, which increasingly damages their health, and that that's more costly to the UK economy than actual absenteeism. And in fact, it's double the cost. It's roughly about 15 billion, where uh, sickness absence costs about 8 billion. Feel the sensations of the breath, or feel the sensations of the feet on the floor. Ten years ago, Janice Moritano was struggling to cope with the demands of a high-powered job, a young family and the loss of her parents. I had some space to work through the personal issues that arrived that I didn't bounce back. My mental resiliency had become so depleted over that 18-month period of time that uh, I, there was a piece of me that seemed to be missing. That was when she discovered meditation. Today, she runs her own Institute for Mindfulness, which teaches executives how to train their thoughts. One of the casualties of today is that our minds are in the state of continuous partial attention. We never fully attend to anything. The cost in productivity is when our minds flip back and forth like that, it's very unproductive. A uh, benefit of this practice is we begin to build this muscle of sustaining attention, of sustaining focus. Research has shown that being trained to be aware of sensations, thoughts and feelings for 8 to 12 weeks can enhance individual well-being for several years. Courses like these are just one of the ways in which organisations are choosing to improve workplace well-being by providing additional employee benefits which go beyond the traditional offers of health or life insurance. But such benefits are almost unheard of for those lower down the pecking order, where people have the least control over their work and therefore the most stress. Places like Amazon's flagship factory in Staffordshire, where workers have a handheld device directing them to goods. But these devices also measure their productivity in real time. If they lag behind, the machine chivvies them. They're issued with constant warnings not to talk to one another or to hang about for any reason. 
and as you'd expect, many find it stressful. The most predominant management style in the UK now is autocratic and bureaucratic. And it's that management style which is at the root of much of our workplace ill health, according to Professor Carey Connor. For things to radically improve, he says, we need a new breed of manager. And there are lots of things that he or she must do. Number one, we have technology. So more and more people want to work partly from home, partly from a central office. So we need more flexible working arrangements. I think the other thing is how you manage people's workloads. And really, given there are fewer people doing more work, what we're finding is people are now working longer hours than ever before. The evidence is clear. If you work consistently long hours, not in any one week, you will get ill and your productivity will suffer. So we need people who are managers who are sensitive to this and ensure that people have manageable workloads and manageable deadlines, realistic deadlines. And we've got to build cultures of team building in. So we need, again, managers who know how to do this. We've got some very general questions, like thinking about the job you do in general, would you say that you feel happy when you are at work? Thinking about the job you do in general, would you say that your job is stressful? To what extent can you influence decisions that are important for your work? Retraining managers, though, takes time and money, and that's in short supply. Something organisations can do relatively easily is to conduct an audit, pinpointing the source of their own lack of well-being. The think tank, the New Economics Foundation, has developed one. I spoke to their head of well-being, Charles Seaford, to find out how it works. The questions in the survey are not just about whether you like being at work, whether you're happy at work. They're also about the things that underlie that, the way you function, and then underlying that, the way you perceive the organisation and what you're bringing to the organisation. The happiness at work survey takes about 10 minutes to fill in and it's free for individuals. Since it launched 18 months ago, 40,000 people around the world have filled it in. The value of the survey, though, is not the results. The value is the discussions it then provokes. And it brings them to the surface. I mean, there might be issues that you've always known you've had, problems which you knew you needed to address, but the survey brings it all to the surface, so you have to discuss it, partly because it is quite personal. It's about what people are feeling. But if work can give you a heart attack, it turns out that being out of work can give you one too. A recent study by Duke University showed that the risk of a cardiac arrest was a stunning 35% higher among the unemployed than those who hadn't experienced job loss. And the effects of multiple redundancies was similar to smoking. One of the consequences then of today's rising employment in Britain will be a falling life expectancy for certain groups, particularly the young and the poorly qualified. Professor Kerry Connor again. If you stop learning at 21, 22 or whenever, that's not good either for your ability to take on new challenges, either within that organisation or in even a different sector. Remember, lots of businesses, lots of sectors do decline, you know, and when they decline, you have to move elsewhere. The more skills you have, the more you continue to learn, the more you're open to learning, the better in the long run it'll be for your mental well-being because you will have options. The thing that causes people to get ill and to have stress-related illnesses is lack of control. The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.com. 
itunesu